let me just go ahead and say uh, a wonderful good morning to everyone. It's, it's so good to be here. It's so good to see uh, many of you. Uh, some people, I'm, I'm still meeting people as I go along. This is my, my third Sunday, kind of officially, but we've been here since, uh, since the beginning of last month. But I'm, I'm still meeting people along the way. Uh, and it's really good because the people I'm, I'm meeting for the very first time, uh, they come up to me and they don't expect me to know their names. They're like, before I could do anything, they're like, hey, I'm Todd. Uh, I'm like, okay, I'm Patterson. Yeah, I know, I know. I'll keep saying your name over and over until, uh, you know, you remember, I remember it. So uh, it's, it's really good, like I said, to be here. You guys will continue to hear me ramble on and on about just... Uh, how blessed we are and just how grateful we are uh, to all of you that have made us felt, made us feel at home. I want to also take the opportunity, as many of our other brothers would have done prior to me, to just wish all the fathers in the room, and of course those who are listening online, a happy Father's Day. And if you don't mind, I want you to come with me into the book of Genesis chapter 22, uh, you're going to have to hold on to Genesis chapter 22 because we won't get there just yet. But that's really going to be our main text. And it's almost as if the, the, the spirit, I'll just let you know that I, I didn't have anything to do uh, with Todd, uh, you know, using that text for his communion talk. That, that was actually something that the Spirit had placed on his heart to speak about concerning the communion. Uh, needless to say, this was actually the text I was going to look at and I'm going to look at uh, for this morning's endeavor, this morning's exhortation. Uh, again, I just want to take the opportunity to put a plug in here. Uh, if you can volunteer for WOW, if you can volunteer for anything uh, with regard to, to pre-K, please, please, please do so. Uh, you know, everybody is kind of stretched at this point, and so we really want to be able to facilitate WOW over the course of the summer. So please, if you can, like, like Andrew said, a week here, a week there, a couple weeks here, a couple weeks there, uh, it would be greatly appreciated if you could render your services for WOW. Also, uh, it's our intention uh, to pack downstairs so much on Wednesdays that it could no longer accommodate the number of people that are showing up for Wednesdays, our wonderful Wednesday series. And so we want to, again, encourage everybody, if you can, please come out. Let's be a part of the wonderful Wednesday series. Uh, we want to be able, at least, if we could get to that point, by the, the, the end of, of this summer series, we want to be able to say, the men should be able to say, listen, this is, this is too much. Uh, we can't fit everybody inside here, and so we want to move up to the sanctuary or to the worship hall as opposed to the fellowship hall. So if, if everyone that's here could, could find the time and make the time to be there on Wednesdays, I'm telling you, we'll have uh, a great time together. We've been having a good time these past couple of Wednesdays, and we want to continue that. It was really wonderful to hear uh, Stephen and Laurie share uh, their story, their faith story. I wasn't here physically, but I was following online. Uh, and then last week, we had Todd and uh, Denise, and they also did a really wonderful job in sharing not only their faith story, but also some words of encouragement and, and, and pastoral wisdom uh, for each and every single one of us that were there. And of course, we're taking the opportunity to sing together, to praise God together. So if you could be there, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you to let's come out uh, on the Wednesdays to be a part of that wonderful Wednesday series. 
The issue of faith is sometimes easier to try and define verbally than it is to cultivate personally. If you were to ask someone what is faith, especially someone in a church context, you may get the response that faith is belief or the belief in God. And therefore, the most part would be right if, in fact, belief itself is understood in its proper context. James points to this in his epistle, mentioning some very notable things as he shares a word with the believers who, by all indications, historically and via James' own words, are suffering harsh persecution, many of whom are also on the run. In James chapter number 2, verses 14 through 19, I'm going to do this from the English Standard Version. It would read something like this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says or says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you say to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good, what good, he says, is it? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe, verse number 19, that God is one, and you do well. Even the demons believe, and they tremble. In other words, James wants us to know that talk is cheap. And that just knowing how to articulate what faith is, is really not enough for the child, for the man or the woman of God. For faith is not just spoken, he would go on to show us that faith is something that's actually lived out. That is to say, the confirmation of a complete faith is a person whose actions are in agreement with their words. It's like a couple who stood and made vows to each other on that special day. You said you to have and to hold from this day forward. You said for better or for worse. You said for richer or for poorer. You said in sickness and in health. You said till death do us part. That's what you said, but is that what's being actually performed? Of course, I know there are exceptions if we were talking about physical marriage, but in case you haven't realized yet, I'm not talking necessarily about physical marriage, but I'm really talking about the relationship that exists between us and God. We all may have good intentions, but we can only know how strong or weak we are by being or going through some testing in our lives. 
You remember in the gospel account of John, chapter number 6, a, a multitude was following Jesus. Jesus would have just fed a multitude with a little bit of loaves and a little bit of fish. And so the multitudes are now following Jesus. But because they were not willing at one point to accept what Jesus was saying to them, the scripture would say many from that point onward didn't follow Jesus anymore. And Jesus would turn to the ones he had chosen, chosen and he would say to them, would you also walk away? Would you also leave? And they would say, Lord, where would we go? For you are the one that has the words of eternal life. We, we all have good intentions, but sometimes when the rubber hits the road, sometimes when it becomes difficult, sometimes when it becomes hard, Sometimes when we are challenged in our faith, the intentions tuck tail and we run away. You remember Peter would have said something to Jesus in Matthew chapter 26, uh, particularly around verse number 33. He says, though they all fall away because of you, I, he says, will never fall away. Yet the scripture would be clear that, that he would go on to prove Jesus right in Jesus' prophecy that before the night was done and before the cock had crowed twice, Peter would ultimately deny Jesus three times. I'm trying to help us to recognize that as human beings, we have all the best intentions, all the, the good intentions in the world, but sometimes we find ourselves faltering and falling short. The truth is, as I've said before, faith is easier spoken than it is proven. So James starts off his epistle by helping the brethren to develop a healthy perspective to the persecution or the trials that they were facing. In James chapter number 1, verses 2 through 7, if you don't mind turning there, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 7. I'm going somewhere with this before we get to Genesis chapter 22. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 7, I'm doing this from the NIV or the, 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 the NIV version. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But, he says, verse number six, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So James wants us to know to cultivate a healthy perspective. We must be able to appreciate some of these things that he is highlighting via the Spirit. Number one, he says, we need to approach the difficulty in a particular way or manner. So he talks about approaching it with joy. We need to recognize there is a purpose to what we are going through. He calls it the testing of our faith. He says we need to know what it cultivates, and he says it cultivates endurance. Now, I must say that there is a difference between strength and endurance. Strength 
is the ability to stand up. Endurance is the ability to stand up for an extended period of time. Many of us may have strength, but what we need with the strength is some endurance. We don't need to just stand up for one minute or two minutes or one week or two weeks. God says, I need you to stand up for as long as there is breath in the body. So it's one thing to have strength. Do I have some strong people in the room? It's one thing to have strength. It's the next thing to have the endurance to stand up for an extended period of time. That, that word patience or that word endurance is, is this Greek word that talks about being able to bear under strain for an extended length of time. And so we need to appreciate as we, we look at what James is trying to help the brethren to understand and by extension us, he says, the, the, cultivate, the thing that is cultivated as we go through our difficulties is in fact a faith or a strength that has the ability to stand up over a lengthy period of time. Before I move on to the last one, let me just give this brief illustration. There is a difference between a 100-meter dash, a 200-meter, a 400-meter, and a marathon. The one con constant for each one of those is that, is that all of the runners have a level of strength. All of, the, all of the runners in those categories have a level of endurance. You, you take a 100-meter sprinter, and put him in a 200, he may win the race, but if he or she doesn't grow in their endurance, they won't able to make heads nor tails in a 400 meter far less for a marathon. However, you take a marathon runner, you take a 400 meter runner and you put him or her in a 100 meter dash or a 200 meter race, they may not finish first, but they'll finish. Have you ever heard the old saying, the race is not for the swiftest, but for those who endure to the end? Christianity is not about swiftness, it's about endurance. Marriage is more than just the, the, the first few months and first few weeks. Marriage goes beyond the honeymoon phase. Marriage goes beyond the, the first year. Marriage is in sickness and in health. Marriage is in richness or riches and in poor. Marriage is in the good times and the bad times too. Christianity is in health and in sickness. Christianity needs to be strong whether we have little or we have much. You guys not hearing this. My faith needs to be strong enough to be present, not just when things are going well, but my faith needs to have the endurance level that when things go upside down and when things go inside out, I could stand or I could bow, I could prostrate myself and say, though, though everything be removed from me, though everyone uh, leave me, God, I will never leave you. So he says, I want you to cultivate strength. I want you to cultivate faith. But I want you to be able to cultivate a faith that's able to endure hardship 
and difficulty. Could I be real for a second? Is it okay if I be real for a second? Some people watching me like, oh, oh. <laughs> As I've begun to look at some of these statistics these past few months, and I know sometimes statistics is one of those things that could be easily skewed. Uh, it's one of those things, if we're not careful, we, we could misrepresent, uh, you know, information, and, and, and we could actually come up to false conclusions. Statistics needs to be taken really carefully. But as I've come to realize, there are a number of congregations that have begun, if not opened up their doors already since they have come out from isolation. And it's amazing to know that many congregations are finding out that a number of people who were members in their congregation are no longer, not just members, but they are no longer walking a walk of faith. During this pandemic, a number of people have walked away from God. And there are a number of reasons why that has happened, but one of the, the main reasons, if you, you didn't know it, one of the main reasons is because when God designed the church, he designed the church to be a family, a coherent unit, a group of individuals that would come together and encourage each other, that would come together and strengthen each other, that would come together and be a shoulder for each other, that would come together and serve together. So church is a community. And so what many individuals thought as, as they entered into isolation, they, 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 they felt natural staying home and doing nothing, and so they found themselves in a position that when the time came uh, to, to come back out of, to move out of the house and come back with the saints, they, they felt comfortable sitting down and scrolling through on Facebook to watch a feed. But even as, as people who are worshiping at home, I'm telling you, it, it's really easy to, to lose the sense of what worship really is when you're watching a screen. No, I'm telling you, if you're at home, wherever you are, if you're at home and you're here worshiping with us, I, I, I need for you to be plugged in. I need for you when the song leader is singing the song, you sing the songs too, because that's your worship. I need for you, if you're, if you're at home and, and the prayers are being prayed, I need for you to be there attentively in prayer. Say amen when the prayer is over. I need for you to get up in the morning and, and not because you're, you're at home watching the screen or you're at home viewing the online service, you, you, you get up five minutes before and you're unprepared with, 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 with wapia in your eye and uh, you haven't brushed your teeth. I need for you, if you're participating in worship online, I need for you to be prepared to come and worship God. That's God's time. So you get up, you take a shower, you have your coffee, you use the restroom, you do what you have to do, and you sit down there, you sing those songs, you pray those prayers, you say the amens wherever the amens are necessary during the sermon, and you worship with us while we worship here. And God knows if the time comes and you feel comfortable to come back out, then come back out, we'll welcome you, but know that if you're worshiping at home, you worship wholeheartedly. Because you must recognize that whatever we do, especially when it comes to worship, we are serving a God who demands the best. So finally, after he talks about what it cultivates, that is endurance, he says, we need to know the result of this endurance leads to a mature disciple who is full of wisdom.
He says the entirety of this process is focused on developing the man and the woman of God so that we could become mature, mature men and mature women filled with wisdom. I love to talk about maturity, but I won't talk about it for too long. I, I love to talk about maturity in Christ because spiritual maturity has nothing really to do with how old you are physically. Spiritual maturity has nothing to do with how long you've been baptized as far as 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Spiritual maturity is, is someone who has grown up in the Word, someone who has experienced some things. They have put God to the test, and they have submitted themselves wholeheartedly to the God that they serve. So a person could have gotten baptized at the age of 16, but at 18, 19, or 20, they are spiritually mature, more so than a person who has been a Christian for 30 plus years. So spiritual maturity has nothing really to do with how old you are or how long you have been a Christian. It has everything to do with whether or not you have submitted yourself wholeheartedly to the teachings, the precepts, and the life that God has called us to live. A mature disciple is not easily swayed by every difficulty that comes his or her way. A mature disciple is not easily swayed by every doctrine that is out there. A mature disciple learns from his or her mistakes and doesn't condemn others to a devil's hell when they make their own. A mature disciple learns how to, to give, how not to give and in, 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 in give into temptation. A mature disciple puts the teaching of God over the traditions of men. A, a mature disciple is patient. A, a mature disciple is kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, does not dishonor others, is not self See, you guys with me is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, and when they do become angry, they are careful not to sin. A mature disciple keeps no record of wrongdoings, does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth, is not afraid to stand for truth, but always does so in love and humility. A mature disciple always protects always trusts, always hopes, but check this, always perseveres. A mature disciple understands not only what it means or is meant by to obey, to obey is better than to sacrifice, but they also understand and they have come to learn to obey is to sacrifice. A mature disciple trusts God and will follow his instructions and commands without hesitation. Which brings us to our text in the book of Genesis chapter 22. As I speak to the topic, is your all is your all on the altar? 
There are two things in this message I want to highlight to us, and the message will be ours. Number one, I want us to see the test. And then secondarily, number two, I want us to see that there is a testimony. As we look at this text, I want us to see what the test is. But as we engage the text, I want us to see that there is a testimony that's found in this text. You guys know this text all too well. As a matter of fact, this was where the reading was taken from for our communion talk. Uh, And so it starts off in verse number one with God issuing a challenge to the person of, of Abraham. And you know this text all too well, and because it's so familiar, I think it, it, will, it will come across really smoothly. And, and so God calls Abraham, and he tells Abraham, Abraham, take your son, hear the criteria, your only son, the son whom you love, and offer him for a burnt offering. God says to Abraham, take your son. Say son. Your only son. Say only son. Beautiful. He tells him the son whom you love. He he says to him, take that son and offer him as a burnt offering to me. So as we think about the test, it's... I want us to appreciate that it's, it's not so much a test of Abraham's faith because the Hebrew writer will allow us to know that Abraham believed God so much at this point in his life that he concluded, his conclusion was that if I kill this lad because of the promises of God, because of the power of God, God was able to raise him up. So Abraham is going into this, according to the Hebrew writer, with a level of faith and confidence that if God said to do it, I'll do it without hesitation. But, but notice the criteria. God says, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, and sacrifice him for a burnt offering. I'll deal with these for the test, and we'll move on really quickly. So this test involves Isaac. But the scripture says, as we read this particular text, it says, take your son, your only son. If you're reading this simply from an English version where it says only, you would go away with the impression at this stage, if you had not read the verses prior or the the chapters prior, you may go away thinking that Abraham was only blessed with one son. But you will be remiss to, to recognize that as you think about Abraham's life, Abraham fathered a first child. In the process of time, when when God had told Abraham, your seed shall bless all the nations and, and you shall be a blessing, he shall be a blessing. Sarah, Sarai at that time was barren and they went for an extended period of time not having any children of their own and so she came up with a plan. She said, listen, there's a beautiful little servant girl here. You know her name. Her name is Hagar. Take Hagar, Abraham, go into her and bear a child by her because I, your wife, am barren. But when God made the promise to Abraham... God said, you will father a child by your wife, Sarai. So even though a length of time would have taken place between God making the promise and the promise coming to fruition, they became impatient. They believed God. They had faith in the beginning, but what they needed was a faith with some endurance. 
We believe God a whole lot at the beginning of a thing, but sometimes what we need is some endurance to realize that thing. And so they found that year one passed, year two passed, year three passed. This thing isn't coming to pass, this promise that God made. So let me think if I could come up with a way to fulfill the promises of God. How many times have we fallen into problems and difficulty not waiting on God? You guys are not going to help me with this. How many times have we, have we found ourselves in, 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 in harsh positions and, and difficult positions because we were trying to do it our own way? You, 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 you want us to get real? There are times where if we had waited on God, the problems that we are experiencing with this man would not have happened because I, I, I would have looked and waited on somebody who was a spiritual man of God and not someone who I, I just liked physically. Saw this guy and he was head and shoulders above the rest. I, I saw this guy and he looked really physically fit. He was the popular guy. He, he had everything going for him. And so I fell in love. I, I was looking at the outside, but little did I realize what was on the inside. But if you had waited on God to bring a man of God into your life, you probably would not have been struggling in the marriage right now. The vice versa remains the same. And it's true. If men sometimes wait on God to bring that woman to them, sometimes they don't find themselves in problematic marriages. So this whole idea of waiting on God doesn't simply speak to us uh, in, 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 in the promises, but it also speaks to us in every area of our walk and life with Jesus Christ. So I want us to notice that as we look at, as we look at Abraham, Abraham was a father of Two children. The first son that was born to Hagar was named Ishmael. And unless you don't read the text, you must recognize that when God decided to follow after the plan again and the suggestion and the advice of Sarah, which was to send Ishmael and Hagar away, Abraham struggled with that thing. I need for us to understand that when you look at Abraham here and, and Isaac in his, is, is in his possession and Isaac is loved by Abraham, there is another son who Abraham loves wholeheartedly as well, who isn't with Abraham only because he ran ahead of God to begin with. So as I talk about this, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to sound so harsh, fathers, but this is a good place to, to talk to the fathers. There, 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 there are times where there are times where our past comes back to bite us in the behind. And if we're talking real life, uh, if we're talking real life, there, there are times when we ran ahead of God and, and, and we had children with one person and we came and we get married to another person. I'm telling you, if you had child with that person before, that child is still your child. So you might have a marriage going on here, you might have kids who knows here, but the fact that you have a child there, that's still yours. So the fatherly thing to do, if you are a Christian, I'm not talking to people in the world right now, they have a totally different set of ethics. I'm not talking to people in the world right now. They have a totally different sense of morals. I'm not talking to the people in the world right now. They have a totally different sense of values. I'm talking to Christians. I don't know what your background is. 
But if you have a child outside of the, the, the family that you currently have, it's your duty as a Christian father. I hear that I have to put Christian in there. It's, it's your duty as a father to take care of your children. It doesn't matter what happened. You have to love your kids. But because Abraham and Sarah ran ahead of God, not having the ability to wait, now one son, firstborn, has to be shoved away from his dad. And I need for us to understand how, how that feels or how that, that would have felt to, 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 to ancient civilizations like the, the civilization and time Abraham is living in. Your firstborn, that was your blood. All the other kids were special. All the, 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 the other kids that would come, you, you love them all the same. But in that time, in that day, in that age, in that culture, your firstborn was, was, was a mini you. When you left, your firstborn would take your place. When you left, your firstborn will carry on your legacy. When you left, your firstborn would be the one to carry on the family name. So Abraham doesn't take pleasure in having to dispel or even taking thought to dispel his son. But because of the process, God says, go ahead and do it. And the reason why I want you to go ahead and do it and not, and not think about it is because I want you to know that I will take care of them. I will bless them. They will go in one direction and you will go on next. But I want you to rest assured that I'm telling you to go ahead and do it and I will see to it that he and his mother is taken care of. Now, unless God comes to you and tells you Go ahead and don't worry about them. I will take care of them. I'm saying to us fathers, wherever you are in the room or online, we need to take care and love our children. Amen. So God tells Abraham, and I'm almost done. God tells Abraham, take your son, your only son. Check this. That word only didn't mean that Isaac was his one and only. That word, what, that, that word only means that Isaac was his unique son, his special son. This was his son or the son of promise. There are great allusions there and shadows of Jesus that would come in the future. Not going to go there just yet, but Isaac is unique. What is so unique about Isaac? Well, for number one, his birth. <laughs> what do you think about Jesus? What was so unique about Jesus coming into this world? Well, of course, his birth. When you think about Isaac, what else makes him unique? He was going to be the son of promise. Well, what makes Jesus so unique? Well, guess what? He was the son that was promised. What makes Isaac so unique? It was because there was going to come a time where God was going to put Abraham to the test to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb. Well, what becomes of Jesus? It tells to us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. Jesus would become the sacrificial lamb. So when God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, check this, the one whom you love. And offer him for a burnt offering. That term for burnt offering there is the word consecration. It means give everything. Make sure everything burns. It starts off in flesh 
but it must be completed with ash. <laughs> Everything, nothing must be left behind. Everything must be given in its totality. Let me help us as, as parents uh, and brethren to recognize that when we talk about offering a sacrifice to God as a parent, the biggest thing we could offer as a sacrifice to God is not just ourselves, and we're going to get to that, but the biggest thing we could offer as parents in sacrifice to God is our offspring. <laughs> so I smiled when I heard Todd said that he struggled with it. I, I, I understand what he's saying. God is not saying that you need to take a knife and put it to your child's throat, but what God is saying and what he's showing through this sacrifice and this test of Abraham and Isaac is he is saying, I want you to take this blessing and give all of it back to the blesser. <laughs> oh, whatever I bless you with is supposed to be given back to me. So when I bless you with a spouse, you give your spouse to me. If I bless you with a child, you give your child to me. If I bless you with life, you give your life to, if I bless you with money, you guys with me, whatever I bless you with. He says, you must be willing to sacrifice all of it to me. That's the idea of consecration. Don't leave some flesh unburnt. Don't leave some bone uncharred. Don't, don't leave some sinews unmarred. He says, you start with the thing, but you end in ash. I love how Paul says it as you think about Romans chapter number 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual or reasonable service. He says, you start with life. And you sacrifice every bit of it to me. So our families ought to be sacrificed to God. Is your all on the altar? So the test is God saying, will you take what I have blessed you with and give it back to me. That's a test. Will you give the blessor the things that you've been blessed with? That's the test. Time, and this has nothing to do with my preaching, by the way. I'm serious. Time has become our greatest commodity. But God is saying, if you really consider the sacrifice of time, and again, this has nothing to do with the length of my sermons, nothing to do with it. I'm serious. But if we were to take stock of our lives in a 24-hour period in the day, how much time do we directly devote to God as opposed to everything else? Are we trying to fit God into our day and our schedule, or are we working our schedule around God? Because you'll recognize one of the biggest struggles for us Christians today is that we want God to fit into this space, 
and everything else kind of takes precedent. When God is saying, give me your best, for all intents and purposes, I put this on for a reason, by the way. I really wasn't going to wear a suit. Because many times we, we think that giving God our best, according to the world, has to do with dressing the best. But the best for us is not necessarily what we wear. I love the fact that that scripture tells us God doesn't look at the outward appearance. What God looks at is the heart. You could have somebody who is dressed like a lawyer, but what they are is a big liar. You could have somebody who's dressed like a priest, but they're, they're the biggest devil in, 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 in all of the lot. I'm saying that there's something to be said about giving God our best. It has nothing to do with what we look like on the outside, so to speak, but it has everything to do with what's happening on the inside. Are we giving God our best, or are we giving God the dregs? You guys know what I mean by dregs? When we make juice in the Caribbean, oh my God, time is almost gone. When we make juice in the Caribbean, if you use the brown sugar, sometimes it leaves residue. And so nobody wants that last bit of juice in the mug because that's where the residue is. And so everybody's going to drink out from the cream of the crop, from the things on the top, and leave the residue. I used to get mad because my, 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 my two sisters, what they would often do sometimes is that they would drink the good stuff and leave the dregs for me. But here's the reality at times. We, we, we take the good stuff and we, we use it up for ourselves and we give God at times the dregs. How is it we could be on time for work? How is it we could, we could give, uh, you know, work and school and all of these other things uh, a good portion of effort and energy? We could go 120%. But when it comes to God, it's a problem. When it comes to God, well, you know what? I'll give him my 20 or even worse, my 10%. So the test, the test says, are we giving God our all. The test says, are we giving God our best? The test says, are we giving the blessing back to the blessor? You with me? Here's the last thing and we'll be done. Not only do we have the test, but now we have the testimony. And for us to see the testimony, I want to get out of, of Genesis I, I, I promise you guys, this, this is the last text I'll look at. Come with me into the book of Hebrews. I, I, I promised, I promised, I promised everyone that I was going to be short. I say everyone, myself and the ministry staff, and God, of course. I promised I wasn't going to be long today, and I, I think I'm holding on to that. I think I'm on. In Hebrews chapter 11, here's the testimony. You guys know how this ends. There comes a point where God is, 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 is taken, he has taken Abraham, Isaac, and these two servant boys, he has taken them to a point and he says, okay, Abraham, there's the mountain. That's the place where you will offer the sacrifice. And Abraham looks at the two boys, the two servants, and he says to them, you guys stay here, check this. I and the lad will go over there, we'll what? Worship God, and we'll come back. I need for us to see this. When we're talking about sacrifice, what we're actually talking about is worship. I need for us to appreciate that. When we're talking about worship, we're talking about sacrifice. It's one and the same. God says, you stay here. Abraham, so he said, you stay here. The lad and I will go over there. We'll worship God, and we will come back. 
The Hebrew writer says this, in Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Verse number 19, concluding. This was Abraham's mentality going into this process. He said, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which also he received him in a figurative sense. <laughs> Let me tell you what that means, or at least some implications of what that means. Sarah's womb was barren. That is to say, Sarah's womb was dead. When Isaac comes from that womb, it's an indication that God has the power to make dead things alive. So when Abraham concluded, after going through his trial and error period, after recognizing that his faithlessness had allowed him to lose a son, after recognizing that he was supposed to have endurance of faith, now he has gotten to the point of trusting God wholeheartedly. Our missteps and our mistakes are supposed to help us recognize that we could put our trust in God. That's what a, that's what a sane person does. Come on. Ah, come on. Come on, Thomas. Get up there. I'm done. Here, here, here's what I want us to see. I'm, I'm serious. I'm done. Here's what I want us to see. Here's what I want us to see. So all of Abraham's journey up until this point was God allowing him to go through a process of refinement. Well, God, I trusted you, but I thought. Misstep number one. God, I trusted you, but I thought. Misstep number two. God, I trusted you, but I thought misstep number three. Okay, God, I, don't, I won't give any thought to it anymore. If you say to go, I'll go. If you say to stay, I'll. If you say to talk, I'll talk. If you tell me to run, I'll run. When you tell me sacrifice, I will sacrifice. So Abraham learned to trust God because of his past experiences. So when the time comes now, here's what I want to see. When the time comes now, he recognized that if God could bring a child from a dead womb and an old man, God is able to take a dead boy and bring him back to life. You guys not getting that. You're supposed to be jumping in your seats right now because I'm telling you, no matter how dark or, 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 or far off or dead your situation is, we serve a God who is able to take a drunkard and make him into a preacher. We serve a God who is able to take a fornicator and make him into a strong man or woman of God. We serve a God who could take the lowest of the low and make them a saint. I know that that's true. Because I serve a God who was able to take an old sinner like me and do some things that I consider to be marvelous. Church, I'm done. So let's all stand. So the test, the test says, are we giving God our best? Abraham's testimony was, I am. Because it's easier to say you have faith. But the true test of your faith is living that faith out when it matters. Repeat after me.
It's only a test. Is your all on the altar? If not, now is a good time for you to tell God, God, forgive me. Is your all on the altar? Have you given your life to God? If not, now is a good time for you to do just that. Is your all on the altar? If not, now is a good time to go to God in prayer. I want to invite our elders up. And as we sing this song, if you have need of prayer, feel free to come forward. They will pray with you. We will pray together as we all sing this song.